Today is Monday, September 10th, and this is Red Sox Speed Podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. My name is Jared Scally, alongside my co-host, Jess Thomas, and special guest, Skip Tesjardin of the book September 1918, War Plague and the World Series. All right, welcome in, Red Sox fans. Red Sox beat here on CLNS Media at Red Sox CLNS here on Twitter at CLNS Media as well. Of course, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for your first place Boston Red Sox. Jess and I are back full swing this week. We have a guest joining us in a second, but Jess, uh, both sick. How are how are you feeling? You must not be great. Yeah, not great. Got the uh, got the, the family cold, the wife and the and the and the baby cold, but. Hey, the Red Sox being up 5-1 to one, currently on the Astros. J.D. Martinez, 3-on homer. Make me feel a little bit better. Yeah, on the road, hopefully, to the Triple Crown. He's trying to salvage the end of this three-game series because uh, they have looked like crap. The other two, because the bullpen can't pitch. And we'll we'll dive into that a little bit later in the show. Um, but let, first, let's bring on a special guest this week. His name is Skip Desjardin. It's pronounced how it looks if you're going to look up the book we're about to talk about. But uh, September 1918, War Plague in the World Series. Skip is joining us now. Uh, Skip, how are we? I'm good. I'm not going to catch anything being on this show, am I? I would be impressed. <laughs> I w- I would, <laughs> I'd be impressed if you could transmit diseases through Skype, but then again, Skype has been weird to us over the last couple years doing this show, so I wouldn't count it out. Don't blame us if you do get something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> blame his wife. It's fine. Just blame her. Um, I'll blame the baby. <laughs> don't blame the baby. baby. That's mean. Um, babies are always the problem. <laughs> that's true. Ba- babies usually do because that's all sick. But um, So, Skip, appreciate you joining us. Um, author of the book, again, September 1918, War Plague and the World Series. Just before we dive into it a little bit, give me a background on how this book came about. Yeah, I um, – I... I'm a big fan of uh, Dennis Lehane. He's a Boston guy and a novelist. He wrote uh, books that were turned into movies that you've heard of, like Gone Baby Gone, and uh, others that uh, have been big big hits. Uh, but he also wrote a book called The Given Day, which was set in Boston in 1919. And two of the characters in that book really fascinated me. One was Babe Ruth, uh, who is an actual integral character in that novel. Um, but young Babe Ruth, not fat, pigeon-toed, uh, fast-motion newsreel Babe Ruth that we all think of, but 25-year-old, in-his-prime Babe Ruth, the Mike Trout of his day, if you will, mm-hmm. um, who was at the same time both uh, one of, if not the best pitcher in baseball and the best hitter in baseball. And I just got fascinated by the idea of, of young, thin, athletic Babe Ruth. And the other was Calvin Coolidge, which brought me up short a little bit because I always think of Calvin Coolidge uh, as being from Vermont, Uh, but it turns out his entire political career until he went off to Washington to be vice president and president was Massachusetts, and he was governor of Massachusetts. And in that book, they refer a little bit to the previous year and the World Series having been played uh, in September uh, during the Spanish flu epidemic, which caused me to wonder, you know, first of all, why was the World Series played in September? And secondly, why in the world would anybody go out to Fenway Park and sit crammed into that ballpark at exactly the time in which going out and being in a crowd could literally kill you? <laughs> and so I started to research, and things took off from there. Love it. Um, and obviously, you have a book on your hand. It's out. <laughs> um are you are you a Red Sox guy? Like, is is there, are the Red Sox? I am. Okay, cool. So we can. We they can... absolutely are. I grew up in Maine. <laughs> I've lived in New England my whole life, 
And uh, I, I will confess that I'm sitting here watching the game while we're doing this. Hey, so are me and Jess, so it's fine. Like, <laughs> <Yep>. we <did. laughs> okay. No, don't worry. Um, and the Red Sox are winning, so that's a good note. Uh, maybe we should have you on every week that they're on the Sunday Night <laughs> Baseball. But um, so before we get into the book, what's your take on the team? Then how are you, how are you liking how are things are shaping up? Oh, I think it's great. I, I'm like you. I'm a little worried about the bullpen. Good. You all should. Be. <laughs> uh, maybe on some days, a lot worried about the bullpen. Uh, but it, it so often happens that uh, the best team in the league ends up at least in the World Series. Yeah. Uh, and clearly, it is evidenced by this series where were the Astros in the AL East, they'd be eight games behind the Red Sox at this point. This is far and away the best team in baseball, so yeah. I have high hopes. Yeah, I think we all do. I think we're over the whole let's win one playoff game in two years and still win the division. I think we're all past that. <laughs> I think we need something better than that, um, and they're getting healthy, so it's the right time for that. So um, in regards to the book, you know, in, in the topic itself, obviously our crowd's going to want to know more about the whole this, the World Series side of things. Yep. Take, take us through what you discovered in terms of, you know, why people really were showing up because obviously we know from 1918 to 2004 this team had bad luck they didn't win the world series it was a curse taped after this guy so like what about that world series was so special because a lot of people know and but forget because obviously red sox fans are getting younger as they pay attention to this team but before that red sox did win like it wasn't like that was their only world series this was the absolute dominant team of the era they had uh, already won World Series in 1912 and 1915 and 1916, and here they were in the World Series again in 1918. They were baseball's first dynasty. Um, so that we forget about, I think, a lot of the time because of the 86-year interval yeah. between World Series. But the, the, the thing that uh, the first question I had to answer in writing this book was the first question I had, which is, why was this World Series played in September? And it was because of the war. Uh, baseball nearly shut down at the end of the 1917 season. So many of its players were uh, heading off to war. But they played anyway, but very shorthanded. Half of the Red Sox roster from 1917 had left and either enlisted or were drafted or were working in some war-related factory somewhere. And in May of 1918, the government issued an order that was, came to be known as the Work or Fight Order, that said every man in America between the ages of 18 and 30 had three choices. Enlist, make yourself eligible for the draft, or get a job in a war-related industry. Not just any job, but a job that was directly related to helping the war effort. And here were these baseball players who were certainly between 18 and 30 and all healthy and there was a lot of question early on as to whether they would be exempt, but the government said they were not. But compromise and gave them until September 1st to wrap up the Major League season. Uh, as of Labor Day, everybody else in baseball had to meet one of those three criteria. The Red Sox and the Cubs were given two weeks to play the World Series, wrap it up, and then they all were uh, subject to that rule. And baseball was going to shut down. For as long as the war was going to last, there'd be no big league baseball. So it was a time when uh, baseball was hanging by the in, in the balance. And you talked about attendance, which was low not only for the World Series but for the whole season. And this work or fight order was really the reason behind that. Not a lot of what we would now call the target audience, young men, had the ability to go to a day game in the middle of the afternoon because they were 
working or fighting, and they certainly didn't have enough expendable income at that time to be buying tickets. There was a doubleheader at uh, what is now known as Wrigley Field during, during the summer, in which between games of the doubleheader, the government locked the gates and questioned every man at Wrigley Field to say, what's your draft status? What's your job? Are you meeting these criteria? Wow. So they were serious about it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's intense. So I'm curious because, and, and you can answer this at discretion depending on how much you want to give away in the book. Um, I haven't got through the whole thing yet, but what was the most intriguing thing you found out? Like, what was the, th- the one thing that you read, you were doing your research that might even not be in the book, but you got through that and went, oh, wow, I had no idea. That really surprises me. The, the part that sticks with me, uh, I'll give you two really quick. One was mm-hmm. that even though Babe Ruth had become a hitter during the season, when the World Series came around, Ed Barrow, the manager of the Red Sox, refused to play him on, gay, on days that he didn't pitch. Um. A stickler for tradition and old. I'm saying that blows my mind guy. too. That alone blows my mind. Yeah. Well, and it cost them in uh, in Game Two of the World Series in Chicago. Uh, Ruth was not the starter, so he did not play. And in the ninth inning, they had two men on and one out, and an opportunity for Ruth to pinch hit. And Barrow left him on the bench twice. That's ridiculous. And the Red Sox ended up losing. So uh, it cost them. So that was one of the things that fascinated me. The other was that the players from both teams went on strike before Game 5 of the World Series. It was a strike that only lasted a little over an hour, but they had been fighting with the National Commission. Back then there were three commissioners, not one commissioner in baseball, had been fighting over how much they were going to get paid for the World Series. Yep. And they weren't getting very good answers. They weren't getting any answers. And so the two teams together decided until they got uh, a definitive answer as to how much money they were going to make, they were not going to play. And so a meeting was arranged in the umpire's locker room underneath the stands at Fenway Park. And when the commissioners showed up for that meeting, two out of the three were so drunk they could barely stand up. (laughs) Oh, man. And so uh, it became apparent to Harry Hooper, the veteran outfielder for the Red Sox, that they weren't going to be able to negotiate anything with these guys. He actually turned to the press and, press and said, um, there's no sense in us talking because these guys can't even talk. But he went back to the locker rooms and addressed both teams and said, look, if the Red Sox win today, the series is over, and we have no hope of negotiating a better financial deal. Yep. And lo and behold, the Red Sox lost. Yeah. <laughs> and they tried so, to figure it out. There was a, there's been a controversy over the last few years about whether the Cubs threw that World Series a year ahead of the Black Sox scandal. Um, and I found no definitive evidence either way, although there's some suspicious things that happened. But I am convinced that the Red Sox purposely lost Game 5. It sounds it to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. It sounds like if something wanted to get figured out, it, it might have happened. It wouldn't be surprising. So what intrigues me, and, and I feel like a lot of people who pick up this book might even start to think this as they read through it, is how did this shortened or sped up World Series and the war and everything along with this affect the next couple of years as an organization because you look at this and obviously you had some bad luck throughout the years that causes an 86-year curse. You have to have something in terms of bad luck. But in the short years after this World Series and going beyond, like how did this directly affect the next couple seasons if it, if it did at well, all? Well, it took a little while for baseball fans to work its way back up. Uh, 
But the, the obviously the biggest effect it had on the Boston franchise was that after one more year of Ruth, they sold him to the Yankees. And that more than anything, I'm not a I'm not a believer in the curse, but it certainly had a dramatic effect on the on the short term for that franchise yeah. to not have him on the mound and as a hitter. Yeah, and I think short term, obviously, but not having Ruth, especially because he was with the team and had such so much success. Um, you have to think that even long term. I mean, I'd say I'm, I'm not a believer in the curse. I, I think there's something to it because you don't just sell your best best player for dollars on a like on a sense. You know, it's not something that you just do. But I think overall, it seems like shedding some light onto what happened around the team. I think they almost just wanted a fresh start. Yeah, I think that's partially true. The other thing that happened was that in the years leading up to 1918, the Red Sox had had a whole series of owners. Uh, before Harry Frizee, and then had a series of owners after Frizee sold the team, and after he sold Ruth, and then sold the team. Yep. But the difference was they'd had a whole bunch of owners previous because they were so good, and everybody wanted in. They had a whole series of owners afterwards because they were lousy. <laughs> <laughs> and none of those owners did a particularly good job. Yeah, no. Um, owners seem to not still good, do a good job, and we're how many years later? So I can't imagine they did a good yeah. job back then. Um, we're talking to Skip Deschardin here, September 1918, the book, uh, War, Plague, and the World Series. Skip, I'm actually intrigued, with, you mentioned the owners, what their thoughts were on all of this, like going through their heads or w- what their process or thought process was with the war, you know, got to speed up the season, got to speed up the World Series. How do the owners feel about all this when it's well, all said and done? Yeah, uh, this was, you know, the age when owners had absolute power over players. Yeah. For instance, at the end of the 1918 season, when they shut the game down for the duration of the war, they waived all the players. They cut all the players, and they didn't pay them, despite their contract saying that they would get paid through October, uh, they didn't pay them. There's no baseball, there's no games, you don't get paid. And every team cut every player. Wow. Wow. But when baseball was due to pick back up after the world uh, after the war, which turned out simply to be the next spring, baseball players were not free to move to whoever wanted to sign them up to their next contract. They had to go back to the same teams. And because baseball had taken such a financial beating in 1917 and 1918, when there was nobody left around to buy uh, tickets, owners came back to them in 1919 with much lower salary off opportunities which is partially what led to the Black Sox scandal in 1919. Yeah. What What did the game do in the Red Sox? Because this war directly affected everybody. Obviously, it wasn't just baseball. Um, what did baseball do to get these up? Obviously, the scandal we know, and we, we know what we all think about that Black Sox scandal. But overall, what did the game try to do to eliminate that and kind of rise themselves back up to being a powerhouse and being ba- America's pastime? Yeah, they were not... Uh... But they were not great marketers. <laughs> uh, we'll put it that way. Anywhere. Uh, you know, they, they really sort of relied on the game to, to sell itself. Um, but in many respects, as hard as it is for me to say this as a lifelong Red Sox fan, it was Ruth that really brought it back. And his rise to stardom and his incredible play for the Yankees at what was really the golden age of sports in some regards uh, with uh, advances in radio and the widespread 
focus on sports in general by these millions of men who had come home from war um, were really focused on Ruth. His exploits were in every paper in America every day. Uh, and baseball's been fortunate in that way over the years when there have been tough times that there were these great players and great achievements to sort of bring them back. Even in recent years, we think about how Cal Ripken brought baseball back from tough times after the strike in 94, Mm -hmm. and how uh, Sosa and McGuire's home run chase brought baseball back from a time in which attendance was down and, and interest was down. And so Ruth was the first of those people who really just picked the whole game up and put it on his back and carried it for years. Skip, a couple more questions before we let you go. One with that team, and I'm intrigued by this because I've kind of thought about this as we have talking to you and obviously skimming through the book a little bit too. What would this team have looked like if the war didn't happen? I'm intrigued by that that answer because you look at what obviously the war did. It disbanded, like you said, killed baseball's finances. The Ruth thing happens, obviously, and the curse becomes a thing. What happens if the war doesn't exist? Does this Red Sox team continue its power? Does the Red Sox even sell um, Babe Ruth, or does Babe Ruth become yeah. a Red Sox legend and we don't talk about the curse anymore? It's, it's an interesting question. The, the, one of the reasons that they were as successful as they were in 1918, and we talked about how they had lost half of their roster, but Frazee firmly believed that the war was going to be over by opening day of 1918. Yeah. In fact, he very, made a very public bet at like six to one odds to that effect, <laughs> which he lost, yep. but... In the offseason, he went out and made some major deals to acquire a whole bunch of players. He made two big deals with Connie Max Philadelphia Athletics. And he really stocked that team up because he believed that the war would be over and his players who were off uh, playing other places, like Dutch Leonard, the pitcher, would be back to supplement this great team. If the war hadn't happened, you wonder if he would have made those moves or if he would just sort of ridden along with the same lineup he had in 1917. Again, keep in mind, they had won the World Series in 12, 15, and 16, so they were a good team to begin with. Um, but they probably would have looked a lot more like they had the previous year yep. had the war not been going on. Makes sense, and, and I kind of assumed that, but it, it hurts as Red Sox fan, and obviously you're a lifelong fan as well, what this team, what the dynasty could have continued to be um, if this didn't obviously get in the way, but of course, war trumps everything. <laughs> um, yes. Before we let you go, Skip, Fast forward to this year, I want your take on David Price because everyone has an opinion um, on the guy. So I want to know what your thoughts are on David Price, and are you talking yourself off the ledge? Are you not a fan of David Price? Just overall thoughts on the pitching stud that we have in the rotation. Um, I'm, something seems to have clicked with him in the last six or seven starts. And I, it, it seems to be that he has sort of come, he's made peace with the fact that uh, this is where he pitches, this is where he's going to pitch, and I, I hate to try to get into players' heads because we don't know anything about what's going on, but he seems to have found that confidence again yep. and it isn't pressing the way he was, I think, in his first uh, year plus with the Red Sox, and if that continues and we see the David Price that we went out and got a few years ago, I think that's great. I have no problem with him as a personality. Um, 
you know, everybody who plays baseball has got a little bit different personality. Mm-hmm. I only care that they perform out on the field. Yep, and- I don't have to deal with them in the clubhouse every day, and <laughs> every team has really good guys and jerks. Uh, I don't care which one they are as long as they help us win. Amen to that. And I don't, most starting pitchers are crazy. It's like I always compare them to hockey goalies. They're just nuts. Uh, Chris, Sale, yeah. Chris Sale cuts jerseys. David Price does weird things. Uh, no one cares as long as you pitch well. All right. Uh, Skip Deschardins. Um, where can we get the book? Just self-plug. Where can everybody find you guys? And um, obviously yep. we want, want to go through that as well. The book is available online, Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, and those sites like that. It's in bookstores everywhere. Cool. Um, and folks who want to learn more can go to the, uh, its website, september1918.com, or follow me on Twitter, at Skip Disjardin. Love it. Um, Skip, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, good stuff here. If you, if you love all that stuff he's talking about, the book's going to go into detail even more, so definitely pick up a copy and go through it. And Skip, we, uh, we appreciate you jumping on the show with us. Thank you very much, guys. Get better. <laughs> appreciate Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> all right, bye. All right, bye. Uh, all right, it's cool. Skip Desjardins, September 1918, War Plague in the World Series. Um, a lot of good stuff just out of that, and I think a lot of stuff, too, that we go through um, when we talk about the curse and things like that. The, that last question I asked him is what always intrigues me the most of, if this kind of stuff doesn't happen, if the world doesn't get in the way of baseball, idiots, then what did the Red Sox look like five years after the war? Does Babe Ruth even go to the Yankees? There's a lot of stuff like that that might have not happened if the war doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, what ifs are some of the most fun games to play, you know? Cause it's like That's a big what if. It, like, what it, if the war didn't right. happen? <laughs> right. And it changes everything. Like you said, the curse. All anybody talks about for 86 years was the curse. The curse, the curse, the curse, the curse. And yep. like you said, if that didn't happen, if you didn't get traded for a Broadway play and, you know, everything that happened, <laughs> then what? You know what does history look like? So yeah. that's a that's a fun game, the what if game. So really cool stuff. I definitely definitely interested in that in that book. I mean, it's you know it's a hundred years ago. It's a long time ago. You know, most young people nowadays probably don't know crap about that kind of stuff. So nope. it'd be fun to get educated about it and kind of learn about you know the shortened season and winning the World Series and yeah. That I found it fascinating. With like, why would you want to go to the park when, with? When you could, get when you could literally die. die. <laughs> you could literally die going to Fenway Park. I mean, some people feel like that now wild. because the seats are still the same as they were in 1918. But, hey, um, <laughs> the book is intriguing. Go through it. Again, September 1918, War Plague in the World Series. You can get it anywhere. Um, that you say They sell books, which is pretty much anywhere. Um, and I think you younger Red Sox fans who aren't educated as much as some of us are about the old school stuff, pick up the copy. Yes, books still exist. You millennials, you. Um, and, and you can they read do? It. Yeah, they do. It's amazing how that <laughs> wow. works. Um, but you can obviously get it digitally as well. We're, we're, we're catering to everybody. But appreciate Skip coming on. Jess, we do have a current team to talk about too, which is great. Uh, right. f- first place team, biggest thing this week, you know, have a they sweep the Braves, which I don't think any of us saw coming because the Braves are a first place team and people don't realize that because no one watches the Braves. But they are yeah, a first place good. team. They are a good team. Not someone I'd want to see, you know, like down the road. But it's something that... That was a nice series for them and go, hey, you know what? We're good. We're a good team. We just swept a playoff contender. You know, that feels good. Then you come to the Houston series, and now you're fighting to not get swept. Do you care? That's what I want to ask you. Before we get to the bullpen, and oh, we're going to get to the bullpen. Do you care if the Red Sox lose two out of three, which is going the way that it is now, or even get swept? Does it really make a big deal to you seeing how far ahead they are? And obviously they're not 100% healthy right now. Yeah, standings wise and health wise, no, definitely not. Um, it's concerning because obviously these are your benchmark games, but 
also before the Houston series even started, the Sox I saw Tom Karen tweeted the Sox were nine and two against playoff teams in the last eleven games against playoff teams. So yeah. they're they're beating good teams. There's no question about that. You know, Houston's hot. They won seven games in a row. They're a really good team, obviously defending champion. They come into Boston and you know, they're also I believe they're the best road team in the league. Red Sox are second, so the Red Sox are the best home team. So it's like they're they're a much better road team than home team for whatever reason. So this is their territory coming in other teams' ballparks and, and winning games. So and you know, they're both close. Six to three and five to three. You know, the first game the bullpen blew it and the second game Erod Yo have some runs to start it, so kinda kinda got in a hole right away. So it was it's not like they were like ten to two and like fifteen to one, like they were close games and tonight's is close, unfortunately closer now, five to four at this point. Um, but Sox still have the lead, so I mean, it's it's playoffs. You don't. Ex- I mean, this is a, it's a playoff type atmosphere. You don't expect to sweep teams. You know, I'm sure if these teams met in the playoffs, it'd be a really good series. Even though the Sox are, you know, like Skip said, eight games better. But so no, not really. It doesn't concern me necessarily. You know, you're not you're not necessarily throwing out your best your best pitchers. Obviously, Sale's not pitching, and uh, and Erod's obviously just coming off an injury, so he's a little shaky at this point. So. Yeah, no, I'm not really that worried about it. I know a lot of people are hitting the panic button just because that's what people like to do. But coming off of a sweep of the Braves, you know, it's for right now. No, I'm glad get the loss out of the way now. <laughs> yeah, it only scares me because obviously the the Houston Astros are the team that you know beat you last year and in, in, in the playoffs, and obviously they're just so good that they, they can click it on like this. And yeah, they're they're competing with the A's, but I think they're going to win the division. And y- you look at what's going on with this team. They are a really talented team, and I, I would love to see them in an ALCS. That'd be a fun series to watch, right? So, Sure. And I just don't want to play the Yankees in an ALCS. So uh, I, I just think that when you look at this Houston team, I'm not worried about this. I just keep going back to the bullpen. And I'm, it's not this series that's concerned me with the, the bullpen, Jess, and you know this, and I think anyone who listens to this show or anywhere else I do anything with Red Sox, I just don't like this bullpen. And it, it's... It, popping up its ugly head when you have a lead in that first game and then just they come in and scrap it and then Erod doesn't look good which you can't put that on the bullpen but these are you should have won the first game and I'm not mad about that game in particular but it's just pointing even more shining a light on the issue of when it comes to playing really good teams you have to have a bullpen to shut them down and again right now who do you trust and we'll talk we can talk about this now too Matt Barnes is out for who knows right we don't know when Matt Barnes is coming back. It's another arm you're losing. Oh. And who do you trust at this point? I don't I mean, I don't like I trust Matt Barnes in an eighth inning tight game, but who do you trust, Jess? Well, yeah, it's a shame with him because he has been, you know. One of the better ones. Numbers, he's been one of the better pitchers, right, on the team. So uh, who do I trust? I know it's tough because Ryan Brazier's been so good this year, but he's given up a couple runs in his last couple outings, that, too. And... That free trial of Brazzers is running out, Jess. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of, obviously, pitching experience period because he didn't pitch in the league for five years before this year so um yeah it's you know like we said before it's you don't know who fits where and you know that continues to happen here Keith Henry came in this game gave a couple couple uh runs that were already out there from Porcello and then now they bring in Brian Johnson so it's like who do you who do you bring in at what point it's you know it's it's hard to know so yeah it's you know it's concerning and obviously Good teams are going to score, you know, score more runs and put put together good at bats against your bullpen as opposed to other teams. So these are obviously the testing games. You know, these are the games where, you know, these are the outs you're going to have to get in the playoffs. 
yep. and that obviously hasn't gone so swimmingly in this series. So, <laughs> so yeah, these these do show you more what like what you've got, and obviously, I'm I'm sure Cora. I've read this, and it's obvious watching the games that he's trying to test guys out in certain different innings to see what they are capable of. He pitched Joe Kelly in the eighth inning on Friday, and it was a colossal disaster. So now, of course, probably like, all right, Joe Kelly sucks against a good team in the eighth inning. We're not going to pitch him there. You know, it's, like <laughs> it's, it's a good trial when you're this far up. So I think that could be other. So I hope he's figuring something out. He knows what he's doing. I hope he's figuring out what he what he can do and what he can't do in the playoffs. Yeah, um, and one thing that and I and I wanted to get Skip's take on him because one, he's obviously everyone has an opinion on David Price, but one thing that we can jump into here is David Price looks good in that that start back. Um, he was in no way the reason why you lost that game and against the Astros, and it was 100% the bullpen, and we can talk about that, and, and that, that's kind of the big problem, but just David Price looked good, and I, I'm not concerned about the injury. I think he got away with one. I think he got lucky that it's not worse than it probably could have been, for sure, um, but he looked in command. It looked like his stuff was there, and you know what? I'm at the point where I'm on cruise control with David Price until he gets a playoff start at this point. I trust him, and we'll see what he looks like when the weather gets even colder and the games start to really matter in terms of elimination or not. Yeah, it's good he pitched Friday instead of Saturday or Sunday because Friday was a lot warmer than yeah. the last two days. Yeah. Tonight might have been miserable for him, to be honest, because it was in the 60s all day today in, in New England, right. and it's probably just in the 50s it's now. Low, like mid, mid to low 50s now, right? Yeah. So, and I mean... We thought he was going to be pitching this game, and then obviously they switched around the rotation after our, our last show. Yep. Um, so he's not pitching tonight. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's been great. He's been steady. He's been consistent. Yep. He's You know you know what you're going to get from him. You know you're going to get six or seven innings, you know, three or less runs. He's been awesome. So, yeah, it's uh, it's really encouraging. Obviously, like you said, just waiting for the playoffs now because he's shown he can do it in the regular season, and now he's shown they he can beat good teams. We were waiting for that. He beat the Yankees, he beat the Astros. That's great. So really nice to have him as, like, what you think would be a guarantee. Yeah. If you can get him and Sale both in that on that path, then you're, you're, you got something good. So that's really, really encouraging to see. And as Skip said, and as we said many times in the past, if you pitch well here, People like you. Don't care. You can do whatever David the hell Price you got, want, man. David Price got a standing ovation. So Shocker. No he pitched cares. well. Yep. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It's all that matters. Um, for the Chris Sale situation, it sounds like he's getting ramped up. Um, I do. I do. I will say this real quick, too. I do wish David Price pitched tonight in the cold weather just because it would have been that test of like October type weather. Um, it's big game. Sunday night baseball would have been nice, but hey, he looked good. Um, but yeah, Chris Sale. He's pitching a couple innings on Tuesday. Nathan Devaldi is supposed to come in after that to finish the game. Um, I don't mind him doing it that way because, I mean, Chris Sale is going to start, and Chris Sale needs to come back knowing he's a starter. He can't come out of the bullpen. That's stupid. So, And Nathan Devaldi has got to get used to coming out of the bullpen because it's probably going to be his role come, come postseason time. So I, I look at this where, at this point, I'm happy they're getting him slowly ramped up, and it seems like every time after this, they're going to let him pitch five innings or four innings, then six innings. And then by the time the end of September comes, he'll be pitching a full game or as much as he can, and then he's ramped up, and at that point, he's ready to go fresh, as fresh as you can be, and ready to go for October. And I'm okay with this at this point. You don't need him to be there every five days pitching eight innings right now because of the lead you have. You have the ability to take your time with this. And, and make sure he's right. And I think that's the idea they're doing here is you're getting two innings. Figure it out, and you're coming out. Okay, you're going to get four innings. You're going to get four innings. Figure it out. You're coming out. I don't mind them doing it this way. 
I wonder if they would have done this if the Rays hadn't started this whole opener thing with the starting pitcher throwing one or two innings. Yeah, uh, yeah they're like, definitely, they're, it's a mimic. It's definitely a mimic yeah, of what the Rays do. And obviously the Red Sox aren't doing that like in general, but they're doing it <laughs> because of an injury to uh, to see what he can do coming back. So I like it. You know, ramp up you know, two innings, for three or four innings, five or six innings. I think that's cool because you ease him back in. You don't wear him out. Instead of doing like the, you know, the opposite, like come back, throw seven innings, and then throw five, and then like the last start, you know, take a take a take a day off and pitch three innings. You know, they're going the opposite route. They're going small to big instead of big to small. So, I think it's smart. I definitely would have been interested to see if they would have done that if the Rays hadn't been doing this. I probably doubt it. I, I mean, who would have thought of that until they did? It's it's really cool. So, yeah, I like it. I think it's smart. We'll see how he does. I know they said two innings or forty pitches on Tuesday. What if he throws like? 20 pitches in two innings. Are they going to throw him a little... I guess it's like if he threw 40 pitches or more in like less than two innings, which I doubt. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's I think it's a 40 limit pitch max, but if you get through two innings, you're done. Then you're done. Yeah. Right. That's what Kinda it's like. like the which, which is also cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, and I think it's cool because it backlogs filling or helping you get Nathan Evaldi ready too. And I think that's a big part because you need bullpen help and it seems like he's going to be the guy because I don't trust Drew Pomeranz at all, no matter what role you put him in. I don't think anybody um, his, does at this his, point. His stuff's just not there this year. Um, no, it was garbage. Erod, I think, is going to be fine. I think he's just working his rust off and working his way back, and he has September to do that. Um, David Price, Chris Sale, and Rick Porcello are your starters, man. And Rick Porcello had a crappy situation tonight. Um, was looking good towards the beginning, but let it fall apart. But whatever, you know, you got to you have to have Rick Porcello. You have to have David Price. You have to have Chris Sale um, and Erod. Those are your four starters. And then, you know, Steven Wright's there. You have options, but... Nathan Evaldi's got to figure out how to pitch out of the bullpen. This is a good test for him to, hey, how do I get ready to come out of the bullpen instead of being ready all afternoon and having all afternoon to get ready for my start? And don't you think he'd probably be better out of the bullpen? Evaldi. How hard he throws? Yeah. Yeah. It's like Joe Ke- I think it's like Joe Kelly. It's the same thing. Right. And Joe Kelly sucks right now. But at the same time, he's more effective as a reliever because after a couple times through, they figure him out. Evaldi also has better control than Kelly, I think. Well, that's very Kelly's true. Just all that's, over the place. <laughs> and well, I mean, we've seen it too with Evaldi. Like, yeah, some of his starts have been kind of shaky at the beginning, but overall, he has command till a second time through the rotation. I mean, to the through the order. Right. So, so if you can pitch him two innings or so, you know, two and a third, two and two thirds, and have him throw his gas and stay in control, then that's that's valuable to have if a starter doesn't go far. And he eats up innings. If your starter struggles in the second, then he you can put him in. Know he can eat up innings and hope your offense digs you out of the hole. And, and, and that's a, three or four. Exactly. Even, like, like what if David Price comes in to game two after a Chris Sale dominant win and sucks and, you know, in two in less than two innings, he's out of the game and we're going to boom off the mound, which is fine. But then who's going to pitch? It's Nathan. That's Nathan of all these roles. Well, plus Stephen Wright, you have those two guys back there to kind of figure out who's going to go in there and have those. And you, you need those because you don't know how long these stars are going to last. You could even split them, too, if you wanted to. Like, pitch one for two or three and the other for two or three and yeah. get all the way to, like, the eighth inning if the starter only goes, like, two or three. And hope the offense digs you out. And, and honestly, right. if they're going to do anything come postseason time, this offense has got to be on top of its game. Because if not, there's no chance. Right. This team oh, is yeah, not This team's not going to win a one nothing game in the playoffs. I'm sorry. They're just not going to. Unless Chris well, Sale, unless Chris Sale's on the Chris mound. Sale. Unless Chris yeah. Sale's on the mound, you ain't winning a one nothing game. Right. Exactly. There's no chance. That's not the way this team's built, and this is it's just the problem they have. But, um, okay, before we get out of here for the week, uh, obviously appreciate you, Skip, coming on, of course. But just go through the predictions real quick. This week, out after this Houston series, three versus Toronto, 
Three versus the New York Mets. <sighs> this is a crappy week of baseball. Um, it got spoiled playing two good playoff teams this week. All right, three versus Toronto. Well, just go. It, it's 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 good for the Red Sox, probably crappy in terms of not Bad good for teams. Watching. Yeah. <laughs> Toronto, yeah. Um, well, you get Sale doing his two inning thing in the first game, and then uh, Price going in the next game, and then Erod three pretty darn good pitchers in that series. So, um. But something's always bound to go wrong, so I'm going to say win two out of three for Toronto. Yeah, I'm the same way. I think you actually lose the Chris Sale game because he's not pitching the whole game. Right. Because you're going to put Nathan Nivaldi in, and he's going to suck. Uh, that's my optimism shining right through. So I, I think that's, think about you, him. you know, I mean, he only had two good starts. He looked, he looked like crap, so uh, I have every right. Um, <laughs> Chris Sale's going to look – I think Chris Sale will look fine in his two innings. I think they're going to have a lead, and then somewhere the pitching's going to screw it up, um, and you don't have anyone in the bullpen to turn to. You might see Steven Wright in that game, to be honest. Um, I think you win David Price's and Erod starts because I think they're both fine, and you're playing a crappy team, so I think that'll figure itself out. Uh, then you have three against the Mets. I, I honestly, Jess, I think you sweep the Mets because they're not good. Um, and I think that's a series where you're going into a good week the week after, and you can really make a statement this week, especially if you're coming off a winning series against the Toronto uh, Blue Jays at home. Staying at home, New York Mets, I, I think you sweep that series. Yeah, the Mets are garbage. They're sixty-five and seventy-seven, which is actually almost exactly the same record as the Blue Jays. They're sixty-five and seventy-eight. So, had two almost identical record teams here. Um, I'm gonna say win two out of three, just because the Mets have Syndergaard and Degrom pitching, and they're both obviously really good. I mean, not much rest. The rest of their team is good at all, but I think they're probably bound to win one of those two games. So, I'll say two out of three from both. Four and two weeks would be pretty good. Get back on track after. Most likely losing two out of three to the Astros. It's tied now, unfortunately. It's, yeah. It keeps getting worse as we sit here. They're going to lose this game, hope, they're gonna lose Hopefully this game. they can pull it out. Nah, they're not going to lose. The bullpen has to pitch now. They're going to lose. Um, who, who's price pitching? I don't have it in front of me. Who's price pitching against in the uh, the Mets series? Um, He's not. He's pitching the first game of the Yankees series. Oh, I thought you said he was. Oh, that's right. He's pitching in the uh, the Blue Jays series. Wait, yeah, so we get, are we going to see Chris Sale in the Mets series? Yes, yeah, Sunday, the final game. Okay. So I guess that'll be his three or four inning game, right? Gotcha. Whatever they decide who's, for that who's game. Who's pitching for the Mets that game? Either of them? Um, Vargas. No, Syndergaard's oh. game one and DeGrom's okay. game Good. two. We'll win the Chris Sale game then. Uh, okay, awesome. We'll leave it there. Either way, whoever's right, going to be a good week for the Red Sox because of who they're playing, the talent level, um, and hopefully, hopefully by the end of the week, we're knocking on the door of basically being good to stop worrying about the division. I'm still not 100% there yet. I don't think they're going to lose the division just at this point, but um, I think after this upcoming week, I think we'll be okay. I'm thinking they're going to The Yankees aren't gaining ground. That's the thing. I know, thing. And they lost again today, so even if they lose this game, it doesn't really matter because the Yankees still lost today. Um, right. Even if the Red Sox lose this game, it's still seven, seven and, and a half, half games. Yeah, and it's been like that. The lowest has got, I think, got to, what, six and a half in the past week? Yeah, something like that, and that's the lowest it's been in a long time. Uh, Right. So, so if you win tonight, eight and a half games. Even if you lose, you just got swept, and you're still at seven and a half. Seven and a half up. With a couple weeks, it's gonna be September 10th. I mean, it's no chance. They're not. They're not. It's not happening. Yeah, Yankees are still a little bit shambles too. They're trying to figure that out if Judge even comes back. So there's a lot. There's a lot of question marks there. Okay, we'll leave it there. Big shout out, Skip Deshardin. It's pronounced like it's written. People, there's no accents. There's no silent s's like we talked about on the pregame show here. Uh, but September 1918 War Plague in the World Series. Go check the book out. Amazon, anywhere book is sold. Check it out there. It's a good it's a good story. Uh, appreciate him coming on. Don't forget to follow us at Red Sox CLNS. Facebook is Red Sox Beat Podcast. Go to rate, review, and subscribe to us on 
iTunes, so the new episodes just pop right up when we pop them up on there at 5 a.m. every Monday morning, unless technical difficulties tend to happen, which they do, because Skype is terrible. But best to get at 5 a.m. on a Monday morning. Um, Jess is over there. We'll be back next week. My name is Jared Scally. This has been Red Sox Beat here on CLS Media.